Has anybody been watching the Olympics? Been watching the, the Winter Olympics? I am a big curling fan. I look forward to this. How many of you out there watch curling? Okay. It's really growing apart. How many of you have no idea what's going on with the curling and the brushes? And uh, Yeah, a lot of people like that too. Um, yesterday I was watching the, the luge, which is guys on this little sled, and they steer with their feet and their shoulders and pull on their hand a little bit. They're going like, I don't know, 68 miles an hour down this ice, hard ice slide, trying to get, and uh, uh, the guy from America was in fourth after the first two races, and he was one one thousandth of a second slower than third place. One one thousandth. How, do you know how accurate your timing has to be to get one one hundred, one one thousandth of a second difference? But we love it, don't we? We love the drama of the Olympics. These people that have worked their whole lives to get to this one point so that they can show their stuff for 30 seconds. Um, uh, and it's amazing to watch. Some people fall. Some people don't do it well. Some people rise to the occasion. There's always some surprises. Um, one, of my, one of the comics I like is a guy named Ryan Hamilton. He says, you know what we really need in the Olympics? We need a control group. Like these people are so good and so amazing that they're within, we need like average people to get on the sled and just show what a real person would do so that you could see how amazing these people actually are. It's, it's really amazing, the, the drama of watching these people try to do this, let alone the political drama, right? Have you seen all this stuff about the Korean women's hockey team? And it's, it's players from North and South Korea. I mean, we as Christians got to be praying for this, that this maybe starts some things over there that can really bring peace. But it's amazing. I've always been fascinated with people and why some people rise to certain occasions and other people don't and why certain teams come together. I'm just fascinated. I'm, I'm one of those people that could just sit and watch and be fascinated by people. Anybody else like that? And one of the things I did in college was I was a sociology major and I did psychology classes and we had to do some philosophy classes. But you know what I found when it really came to trying to understand why people do the things they do and why I do the things I do, I find that the Bible has some great descriptions that describe human behavior. I was at a point in college where I wasn't sure about this Christianity thing and if I really wanted to base my life around it. But I, I found that actually... The Bible describes life better than anything else I could find. And I have really given my life to learning that and to teaching that to other people. It's just fascinating to me. And it starts for me with Genesis. So you're going to hear me in sermons refer to Genesis a lot because Genesis sets the stage for the whole rest of the Bible. So I want to try to unpack that a little bit for you today. In the Bible... God creates man. He creates Adam. Now, you're about to see how bad a drawer I am and, about, and how bad my handwriting is, but that's all right. It's, it's just, it, I think, helpful to kind of draw this. God creates Adam. He creates a person. And when he creates Adam, the, the text says Adam is made in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. Very loaded phrase, imago dei, the image of God. And it doesn't just mean we look like God, because God doesn't look like anything, right? But we're, we're given in, our, in, in who we are as people something of God's design in us. 
so that when we go about our work, we continue the work of God. We reflect God's likeness somehow in our lives. If you watch in the Bible, if you go back and really read Genesis again, everything in Genesis is created based on God's voice. God speaks in their stars. God speaks in their water and land. But in the Bible, when he goes to make humanity, he bends down in the dust and forms with his own hands a person. And when he goes to make Eve, he takes the rib out of Adam and forms Eve. Now, whenever we get into Genesis, we're, we're tempted to get into the, the weeds of kind of thinking about Genesis and asking a bunch of scientific questions. Well, what about evolution and, and how do we, we set our, uh, settle evolution versus this text? And how do, we, um, you know, how do we look at Adam and Eve? Was there an Adam and Eve or did God just take a couple that was going to be Adam and Eve? And I think all those take away from the beauty of this story that God is creating. It says... I think Genesis says much more about who we are than how we got here. So I'm going to ignore a bunch of those questions and talk about this imago dei, that God makes humanity with his hands in a special way and gives us the image of God. It means we don't just look like God. We, we do things like God does. When God creates, he, he makes things good, but he doesn't make things perfect. He makes things so that humanity has to do some of the work. I want you to order. I want you to fill. I want you to continue my work in this world. And so humanity ever since has been ordering and filling. Okay, I want you to take this garden that's all crazy, and I want you to order it and fill it. Okay, I want you to, to structure it, and I want you to put new things in it. I want you to name it, and I want you to... This is what all your work is, by the way. Doesn't matter what your job is, you're ordering and you're filling. Okay, if you are an accountant, uh, you are taking all these random facts and you're ordering it and you're filling it. How am I going to order? How am I going to fill it? Okay, if you're a teacher, you're taking this random group of second graders. You're doing the best you can to order it and then you're filling it. So that's what we all do. We order and we fill. We take something that's chaotic and we, in the image of God, continue his creative work. That's pretty cool. That's yeah, pretty cool that God calls us to work like that. And when God does that, he creates us, he creates us in really four relationships. And when he creates us in these four relationships, they interact and you can see this kind of happen in the text. First of all, God ma makes us in relationship with God. I told you my handwriting was bad. Okay? With God. Okay? When God makes a relationship with us, he makes us in relationship with God so that we talk to God. We find God as our source, as our light. We were never meant to be the center of our lives. God was. God is where we get our security. I know who I am in God, and therefore I can act and I can live because I'm made in the image of God. We're in a relationship with God. We're also made in a relationship with ourselves. Now, that may sound weird to you to have a relationship with self, but how many of you talk to yourselves? Now, come on. Okay? If you don't talk to yourself out loud, you talk to yourself in your head, right? I'm not sure I want to do this. Okay? The real problem is when you start talking to other people in your head. That's where you really have a problem. Talking to yourself, it's fine. Talk, start talking to other people in your head, that's bad. Okay? Adam is in a relationship with himself. Okay? He has a way of looking at himself, a way of acting and thinking about what he's doing in his body. And it's based on who he is with God. So God walks around, talks to him, gives him the security, takes care of him in the garden. 
And therefore, Adam can be totally confident. And what does the text say? I caught that last little bit of Genesis 2 so you would hear it. Man was naked and not ashamed. Now, I knew people in college that were also like that. Okay? <laughs> so that's not necessarily the holy thing you think it is. Okay? But it's meant to be this image of being so secure in yourself. Being so secure in yourself that you're fine. You're comfortable. I know who I am with God, so I'm fine just being me. How often do we struggle with that, right? But Adam has that. He has the security. I am fine just being me. It's all right. I'm cool. Okay? He's got a relationship with himself. Adam's also got a relationship with others. He's got a relationship with others. In fact, in the Bible, it's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good. It's not a good thing to be alone. Okay? Uh, so God creates Eve, a helper. And that word helper is not a derogative term. It's like completer. Okay? Any guy you know, you need completed. Right? Um, he has a relationship with other people. And this relationship, because it's based in his relationship with God, because it's based in his relationship with himself, his relationship with others is also good. Okay? I can trust the people I'm with. I don't have to worry about their motives because I know who I am, and I know who I am in God, and I know who they are in God, so I can be comfortable in my relationship with other people. So Adam and Eve are naked and not ashamed together, and they go about the work that God has given them together. Fourth relationship. Adam has a relationship with creation. Trust me, that says creation. Okay? He has a relationship with the world. He has a relationship with the work that needs to be done. He has a garden. And, and listen, work was not created after the fall. It's created before. He has work to do work to do. He's got to fulfill, he's got to fill this world. He's got to order this world. They've got to have children. Sometimes we can use the word work here or labor. He has a relationship with the world around him where he's got to tend to it. He's got to take care of the world around him. Everybody see these relationships? And the Genesis story has this great poetic way of laying these out. That Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're doing the work together. God walks around and talks to them. It's, it's all beautiful. Until what? until the fall. And when the fall happens, this whole thing gets messed up. Okay, this whole thing gets messed up. As soon as the fall happens, there's a broken relationship with God. Okay, as soon as the fall happens, when God comes walking through the garden, they hide, right? Oh no, God is coming. That is a terrible thought, right? That is a big change from God is my security, God is where I get my fulfillment to, God's coming, I better jump in the bushes. Okay? The relationship with God is broken. Because the relationship with God is broken, all these other relationships are also broken. So there's a broken relationship with self. All of a sudden, Adam looks down and says, I'm naked. I didn't know I was naked before, but now I do. Now I have all these flaws. <clears throat> now I know good and evil, and I know that I can do evil, and I, I've disobeyed God, and I've done evil. So we have a broken relationship with ourselves. We don't see ourselves the same way because we're not rooted in our relationship with God. All of a sudden, the relationship with others, the relationship with others is broken. Well, how do you see this in the false story? Blame. Okay, 
blame. As soon as the fall happens, they hide from God, and God says to Adam, hey, what are you doing over there? And he says, well, that woman you gave me, okay? The woman you gave me, uh, don't tell God that it was the woman he gave you. And don't say that that close to your wife, okay? <laughs> that woman you gave me, all of a sudden there's a blame. Eve says, well, it was Adam, it was the serpent. There's this broken relationship between Adam and Eve, between people, because we don't find our security in one another. We find, and we can't find that in ourselves. We try to be God. Now all of a sudden there's brokenness between us because you're like that and I'm like that. And there's a broken relationship with creation. If we would have continued the false story, if we would have continued that false story, what you'll find is that Adam and Eve have a curse on their labor on their labor and that labor has a double meaning even in English to this day that your labor is your work your labor is also in having children okay it's work it's work all of a sudden you understand this this is why you have every problem that you do okay any insecurity that you have any challenges that you've had in this world in your relationships they all come from this the reason you don't want to get out of bed in the morning sometimes to go to work, it's a fall thing, okay? The reason why you go to get something done at work and there's all these problems that happen that you have to overcome, it's a fall thing. It's a fall thing. Do you understand what that means? It means everything going on in your life, every problem you have is ultimately a spiritual problem. Every problem you have in your life is ultimately a spiritual problem because you're having that problem ultimately because of your broken relationship with God. All these relationships are devastated by the fall. And really quickly, if you follow Genesis, what do you get next? You get children, but then you get Cain kills Abel. Then you get the Tower of Babel. Then you get stuff so bad that Noah's got to come and mess with it. Then you got all this, these attempts that Israel has, that the people have to try to make their relationship with God right, make their relationship with themselves right, try to see who they are, try to live in decent community and try to get the work done that they have to do. And you know what happens in all the Old Testament? Time and time again, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It continues to not work until Jesus comes. When Jesus comes, he begins to heal these relationships. Okay? He does this right away in himself. Okay, in Jesus being fully God, fully human, okay, when he becomes incarnate that we celebrate at Christmas, he's already beginning this healing process because he's fully Adam and he's fully God and there's no division in him at all. And then he goes to the cross. And in going to the cross, he heals these wounds. And he doesn't just heal the one with God. He does that. He pays for that one. But guess what? the other ones begin to be healed too. What does Paul say? Paul says that you are a new creation. You're new. This is all redone. You understand? The creation story, we got a new creation story. And the creation story now is you were fallen and you were broken and you have been made new in Christ. And so now your relationship with God begins to be healed. And out of that, these other relationships start to change. You start to look at yourself different. Paul says you put on your new self. You live out of your new creation. If you start to get secure in who you are in God, then you don't have to have the same kind of doubts and struggles that you have. 
If you start to really find who you are in Christ, your relationship with others have changed. How many of us have struggled in our relationships, in our marriages, relationship with friends, relationship with our children, with our parents, where there was just no way we were going to fix it on our own? Because we're all pretty broken people. But Christ comes to bring healing and reconciliation. And in our work, I can do work for myself, but what does it mean for me to take seriously that any job that I have is a job that God has given me to do in this world? Whatever you do this week, if you're going to work, if you're retired, if you're babysitting your grandchildren, whatever you do this week, what if you took seriously the reality that God is calling you to do that as holy and spiritual work? Paul talks about this as reconciliation. And when we use that word, we normally mean racial reconciliation or we mean reconciliation between warring parties or conflicting parties. But when the Bible uses the term reconciliation, it means those things, but it means a whole lot more. It means this whole thing. Derek read it earlier. God is reconciling the world to himself. God is reconciling the world to himself. He is fixing the problem. And so we have two jobs. One is for, for us to be reconciled. Are you reconciled to Christ? Have you let Christ bring this healing between you and God? And have you let that work its way into all these other relationships? And Paul writes in that verse in 2 Corinthians that you and I are given jobs as ministers or ambassadors of reconciliation. In other words, when you walk out this door today, there is a whole bunch of people out there that are really, really broken. And you join them because you're really broken too. Except you have been reconciled to God in Christ. And now you are agents, you're missionaries, you're workers, you're ambassadors, going out there to help a world that is broken find reconciliation. That's your job. And the world needs it. How many of you need it, right? You need that kind of reconciliation in your life. How many of you have kids and grandkids that need it? How many of you have neighbors that need it? We are to be agents of reconciliation. And so it's my prayer that you would think about this a little bit, that it would stick with you, that you would begin to see your whole life as spiritual, begin to see all the ways that Christ has made reconciliation in your life, and that you would pass along that reconciliation. Take seriously your job as agents or ministers of reconciliation. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us. You have saved us, you have reconciled us to God, even though we don't deserve it, even though we can't deserve it. And so, Lord, help us to be agents of reconciliation. Let us see our whole lives as spiritual. And let us let you in to heal every part of us. In Jesus' name, amen.